Isaiah chapter number 26, where we're going to start today. I was uh, just doing some thinking and praying about uh, what we should finish out the year on. Of course, we finished up Daniel last week, and uh, we only have a few weeks left until the end of the year. Uh, as we usually do, uh, January, just so you can be thinking ahead, January is going to be our missions month again, and so we'll be focusing on world missions and and getting the gospel around the world and then culminating in our missions conference at the end of the month, but we'll, our lessons throughout the month will be on world missions. And so just thinking about what, what we wanted to talk about, what, what would be helpful to us, and uh, I wanted to make sure that it was somewhat Christmas-themed. And, and uh, just as I was thinking about my own life and my own mind and the, the, uh, everything that was going on and thinking about our church and what was needed, uh, one word kept coming to my mind, and that was peace. And uh, just thinking about what the Bible says about peace. And, and uh, you know, I was thinking about this, this, this month of December, if you think back when you were a kid, and maybe you still get asked this, but what's the number one question that every kid gets asked during the month of December? What do you want for Christmas? Uh, what do you want for Christmas? I mean, that, wh- whether it was when you were a child and you had to go visit the creepy mall Santa, that was the one thing that he asked you. Uh, every obscure relative that you met with over Thanksgiving or leading up to Christmas, that was the only way they started conversation with you. They didn't know how to talk to you otherwise. They just asked you, what do you want for Christmas? And they weren't going to get it for you, but they were still going to ask it. Uh, and, and so uh, we, we asked that question, and, and I think that if you were to shift that, uh, because while you may still get asked, what do you want for Christmas? And again, nobody's going to give you because the price range has gone up for, for many of the things that we asked for. Uh, I think if we were to ask all of us in here, uh, if you were to just ask a hundred people, not what do you want for Christmas, but what do you want in life? What do you want in life? What's the one thing that you want in life? If you had a, if you had a life list, not a Christmas wish list, but a life wish list, uh, what do you want? And, and I think that it would probably vary, but, but certainly someone would probably say, I could use more money. Uh, and certainly that's, that's something I think all of us could raise our hands and say, we could use more money. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, uh, it's good to have some money. Uh, it does solve some problems. Uh, it, it does save time if you have money. Uh, you don't have to worry about quite so much. You can at least go down to McDonald's instead of having to cook a whole meal uh, if you have some money. Uh, happiness, it's not going to bring that. Uh, but people might want some money. Uh, this is a class of single people uh, for many of us, or many of you. Uh, and uh, I, I would say probably a lot of people would say, or if you ask single people, one thing, what is one thing that you want in life? It's to be married. And, and one day, that's a noble goal for, for all you guys and all you gals uh, to want to be married one day. And, and marriage is great. Uh, I'll be the first to testify, uh, and, and it's a wonderful thing until it's not. No, I'm just kidding, uh, and, and, and we, we, it's a good thing to want to be married. Um, they give me, I can better stop and get off that before I get in trouble. Um, if you ask people, what do you want in life? I think a lot of people would just say, I just want to be happy. Uh, I just want, I want happiness, and, and certainly that's, that's not a bad goal, but for most people, what they base their idea of happiness is it's based on their happenings. It's based on what happens around them and, and what life is like around them. And, and, and I think that that's what they really want. When they say, I want happiness, I want happy, I want happy surroundings. I want happy things to be happening to me. Um, and when we think about peace, especially as we move into Christmas, you know, the, one, the one thing that pops into your head is uh, when Jesus came to earth, the first time that anyone was told of his coming 
after it happened was when the, shepherd, when the angels appeared to the shepherds. And when the angels appeared to the shepherds, they, uh, of course, announced that a child's been born in the city of David, and then the, 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 the heavenly hosts appeared in the sky to the shepherds. And what was their message? They said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. And on earth, peace. They, they wanted peace to be given uh, to the earth to men. When you read through the New Testament, uh, Paul who was just a master wordsmith, obviously inspired uh, of the Lord, wrote 13 different letters, possibly 14 if you count Hebrews. But of the 13 that we know that Paul wrote, he started it out very similarly. Whether he was writing to a church like Corinth or Rome or Ephesus, or if it was to an individual like Timothy or Titus or Philemon, to almost all of them, 12 out of 13 letters that Paul wrote, he started the same way. He wished two things upon each person or church that he wrote to. He says, I want you to have grace, and I want you to have peace. I want you to have grace, grace and peace be unto you. Now, Paul could have wished for anything for those folks. Paul could have said, I want you to have grace and popularity. I want you to be popular in the city that you're, you're at. I, I want you to be a star on social media. I want you to be an Instagram influencer. I want you to be a TikTok star. I want you to have popularity. But that's not what he said. He said, I, I, I want you, he could have said, I want you to have grace and power. I want you to have authority, uh, influence in the governments uh, of the cities that you're located. But that's not what he said. he said. He could have said, I want you to have grace and riches. And every church leader would have said amen at that point. Um, but that's not what he said. He could have said, I want you to have grace and fame known abroad for who you are. No, he said, I want you to have grace and peace. See, when we ask the question, what do you want in life? What we all really want, and, and we, we may not even know it, but what we all really want in life is peace. It's peace. Because for those things that we could have wished for earlier, money, you can have all the money in the bank, but no peace in your heart. Um, marriage for a single person. Uh, we could be married, but you can be married and certainly not have any peace. That's why over 50% of marriages end in divorce. There's no peace in those homes. Uh, you can have everything uh, on the outside working for you, successfully, uh, uh, successful outwardly, but feel empty inwardly. Uh, all of us want peace. We may not even know it, but all of us want peace in this life. We, we want some kind of peace, but for the most part, we feel the opposite. We feel tension. And, and maybe you can relate to this. We, we feel tension. We wake up in the morning and we're tense. Uh, we, we feel uh, anxiety when we're thinking about what's coming. We feel fear for the future. Uh, and, and, and it's obvious in our lives because then it affects relationships. It affects how we respond to people. It affects how we interact with friends. It affects how we spend time with family. Um, we, we, it leads us to having relationship issues and misunderstandings and, and, and disagreements and hurt feelings and unforgiveness. And, and that peace, that lack of peace in our lives is just displayed in so many different areas. What we really want in life is peace. And so, you know, just as I, I think about my own life, and, and, and I'm sure for many of you, whether you're in school and you're getting ready to finish the semester, or you're involved in, in work, and work is about to get really big, getting ready for the holidays, or you're here and you're involved somehow in our Christmas program, and this is going to be a busy week for all of us. Um, th this is a, a very busy season. And for all of us, no matter where, where you are, where you find yourself, there are lots of things to do. 
Uh, and there are, there's not a lot of time to do it. Uh, and so with the pressures of life that we have to face and, and goals that we need to accomplish and, and the, the, the Christmas list of all the family members we have to buy presents for, and I have no idea how to get, who to, what to get this obscure relative that nobody never, ever buys for, but I feel pressured to this year. Um, with all of that coming down, um, we need peace. And so today, as we start this series, Missing Peace, we're going to ask the question, is peace even possible? Is peace even possible? And I'll say that it is. And so as we look at Scripture, let's ask the Lord to give us some peace. Let's pray one more time, and then we'll jump into this today. Father, we ask for your peace today. Uh, Lord, we, we know that you've promised us peace. We know that it is found in you. And so would you show us how we can find peace in this time? Uh, Lord, with hurting people, with busy schedules, uh, with stressful responsibilities. Lord, I just pray that you give us peace. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, we're in Isaiah chapter number 26, and so look there with me, and uh, before we read that, let me give you some context. Isaiah uh, is writing, when Isaiah is preaching and prophesying to the children of Israel, it's in a very stressful time for them. Uh, It's before captivity, so it's before Daniel's time that we just studied about. Uh, It's before Israel will go into captivity, and he's trying to warn them of what God has been trying to tell them for so many years, that you need to follow God, that you need to obey His commands, that you need to make Him uh, the Lord so that you won't go into captivity, and they're not listening. Meanwhile, God is using him to prophesy of the coming Messiah, and and we know so many great verses in in Isaiah about that. But when Isaiah 26 comes, uh, and I love how this... this, uh, it dovetails so beautifully with what we talked about last week as we, we talked about the fact that Jesus is coming and that's the perspective that we need to have, the hope that we can have, uh, that Jesus is coming again and, and one day every eye shall see Him and every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in this time of unsettled, uh, this time of stress, this time of anxiety in His life, the Lord inspires Isaiah to write this chapter. So look at Isaiah 26. He writes, he prophesies of a time of unbridled worship. And look at Isaiah 26, verse number one. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Open ye the gates that the righteous nation with keepeth the truth may enter in. Look at verse number three. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. I love Isaiah's promise. Despite the fact that he's in a difficult time, he says there is perfect peace. He says you will be kept in perfect peace. Perfect peace. Well, that sounds nice, doesn't it? See, for most of us, at least for me, I think we're more used to imperfect peace. Uh, we're, most to, we're, we're, we're used to imperfect peace. We're, we're used to where we're entering a time, a season like this, the Christmas season. And, okay, God, I'm good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you. And then one thing goes wrong. God, where are you? I have no more peace. Imperfect peace. But I love that, that, that thought of perfect peace. So uh, today, I want to look at And answer this question, how can we have perfect peace? How can we have perfect peace? Well, look at uh, 
uh, that verse number three again, thou wilt be kept in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. That word peace in the Hebrew is the word shalom. The word shalom. And, and this perfect peace, that phrase perfect peace, means a wholeness or a completeness or a fullness of peace. A fullness of peace. Uh, when the Jewish people greet each other, they still do to this day, but especially back then, when they would greet each other, they would not use hello. They would not use what's up. They would not use, how you doing? Uh, they would use shalom. That was their greeting. Their greeting was shalom. And so their greeting to each other was peace. And I find that interesting because, again, it's different than our Western greetings. When you see someone for the first time, it's, you know, it's what's up, it's how you doing. He's like, hey, you know, the, the, there, there, is, there, there is a difference in that the Eastern greeting wished well no matter how you were. No matter how life was affecting you, no matter what was going on, it wished you well. There was peace. And, and this idea that it is a whole peace, a complete peace, a full peace. They were wishing for you to have peace with God. They were wishing for you to have peace with others. Uh, they were wishing for you to have peace with yourself, uh, peace uh, with your circumstances. And what's even more interesting is the fact that in the original Hebrew, Isaiah wrote that word shalom twice. He, wrote, he would have wrote it, thou will be kept in shalom, shalom. Not just peace, not just shalom, but shalom, shalom, putting the emphasis on it. The word shalom appears twice, kind of like uh, when uh, uh, Elisha is leaving Elijah and, and wishes for a double portion. Uh, we can say, God, I want you to give me a double portion of peace. I want, I want it extra portion of peace. It's just like you went to, to Thanksgiving meal this week and, and someone put a scoop of something and you just stood there waiting for the second scoop. Uh, I, want, I want a fullness of peace. Uh, I want no room on the plate, God. I want everything to be full. I want every nook and cranny to be full and gravy to be on top of everything. I want a fullness of peace, a double peace. You know, the, this thought, I don't want just a, and, and maybe you can agree with this, I, I don't want just a sample of peace. You know, how many of you, they, I don't know if they do it as much anymore, but you go to Sam's Club and they used to have the samples, okay? Now, be honest, how many of you go to Sam's Club and make a meal out of all the samples going around? That's right, okay? Uh, just walk around and then do laps and then put on a coat and go around and get more and then put a hat on and get more. Uh, I don't want just a sample of God's peace. I don't want just a sample. Uh, I, don't, I don't want just uh, a little medicine cup just to, just to deal with the, the pain or the... the uh, I, I don't want to deal with just the, the here and now. I don't want just a medicine cup. I, I, want, I want the whole helping of God's peace. I want the shalom, shalom, the perfect peace of God. So you say, well, that sounds great. That's exactly what I need. Okay? Uh, I know it now. Uh, I may not have known it before, but that's exactly what I need. How do I get it? Well, here's the thing. If we're going to get God's peace, if we're going to know God's peace in our life, then we have to change our definition of what peace really is. We have to change how we define it. Peace does not mean that there is not trouble. Peace does not mean that there is not problems in our life. 
Uh, peace does not mean that your car never breaks down. Sorry. Uh, peace does not mean that uh, we'll never fail a test again. Sorry. Uh, peace does not mean that your roommate will never get on your nerves again. Uh, peace will, does not mean that uh, someone will never cut you off on the road. Uh, peace does not mean that uh, your bank account will get hacked into and, and someone will make lots of charges and fly to Hawaii on, their, on your dime. Uh, that's not what peace means. Peace is not the absence of problems. Peace isn't found in the absence of problems. This is, this is what you need to get today. Peace isn't found in the absence of problems. True peace is found in the presence of God. Peace is not found in the absence of problems. That's, that's what we're looking for. We're thinking of the battle. We're thinking of the end of hostilities. We're thinking of the end of conflict. That's peace in our minds. That's not true peace. True peace is found in the presence of God. Peace is in God's presence, having God's perspective, with God's assurance that He is there even in the middle of the problems. How do we have peace when relationships that we're in aren't that great right now? How do we have peace when our schedule is overwhelming? How do we have peace when we're struggling to overcome temptation and sin? How do we have peace when someone that was close to us betrays us? How do we have peace when we're sick and our body hurts? How do we have peace in the middle of a worldwide pandemic? How do we have peace when we're just struggling to figure out how to pay bills? How we're going to make it through this next week? How we're going to make it through this semester? How do we have peace in those times? What well, comes in the presence of God? And then I think what we see from Isaiah is this, and this is going to take us back to some things that we've talked about in the past, but I think it's important because the battle for peace always begins in our minds. The battle for peace always begins in our minds. Battle for peace always begins in our minds. I, I don't know, if you're like me, uh, your mind goes crazy. I mean, I, I, I was never diagnosed, thankfully, uh, but I know I'm like, like ADHD to the max, okay? Because my mind, if I'm going down one trail... I don't get very far before there are 10 bunnies that I'm following on, on either side in my thoughts. Um, and so we have a war in our mind. And, and maybe for you, it's easy to just believe what God says, to read what Scripture says and just to believe it and say, that's it, I'm fine. I'm going to trust that. But, but sometimes it's hard for me. And maybe it's hard for you as well. And so go back to what Isaiah says there in verse number 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. That will keep him in perfect peace. Who? Whose mind, whose mind is stayed on thee. Notice Isaiah does not say he gives perfect peace to those whose minds are fixed on CNN or Fox News or your Instagram feed. Uh, it, it, he does not give peace whose mind are fixed on the future and trying to figure out what's going to happen. Uh, his, he does not promise uh, perfect peace to those whose mind are fixed on their financial problems. Those whose mind lives on bad news drive. Uh, he does not give perfect peace to those. He says, I'm going to give my perfect peace to those whose mind is stayed. Now, that word stay, whose mind is stayed, that comes from the Hebrew word samach, 
It's translated in other places in Scripture as fixed. Fixed. Samak means to lean on completely or to fully rest oneself. To lean on completely or fully rest oneself. Isaiah says you'll be kept in perfect peace when your mind is leaning on God. When it's not trying to support itself. When it's not trying to figure itself out. When it's just leaning on God. Uh, perfect peace comes from when our thoughts are resting on God's unfailing promises. That's peace. Peace comes from when we are fully trusting in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. Your understanding's in your mind. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. There's peace there. You'll be kept in perfect peace when we are resting on God's promises. So let me ask you, what's your mind fixed on? What is your mind stayed on today? Uh, what consumes your mind? When, when you're driving down the road, getting ready for work, what's the one thing? Where's, where does your mind go? Where, where does it drift to? As you're, as you're laying in bed at night and you're about to fall asleep and your mind's just wandering, what are the thoughts that fill your mind? Uh, when you're trying to figure out how to pass this test or what you're going to write this next report on or do this project on, what are the thoughts that keep interrupting your mind? What is your mind stayed on? Is it financial worries? Uh, is it future decisions that you have to make and you're just not sure when they're going to come and, and how you're going to make them? Is, is it fear that you're going to waste your life doing something meaningless? When we have thoughts like that, God says there is no peace there because we're not stayed on Him. And so we take our, we take our minds and we look to what Scripture says. And so uh, turn to Philippians chapter number 4. Philippians chapter number 4. And we find the New Testament equivalent to what Isaiah was writing about in chapter 26. Philippians chapter number 4 and verse number 6. Paul, the Apostle Paul, the master at knowing how to win the war of his mind. And it was a war. We see that. He writes about that in 1 Corinthians. But he knew how to win it. He knew how to win the war of his mind, to keep his mind fixed on God. So look at Philippians 4, verse number 6. It says, be careful for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Uh, be, be worried about nothing. Be, be, be completely consumed by nothing else, if you will, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Well, I was reading this this week, and man, God convicted me so much. How many times do when we have something that worries us, when we have something we're struggling with, when we have a problem that comes into our life, or an irritation, or something that's bringing us stress, and our first thing is just to focus on that. And we may not be able to solve it. We may not be able to fix it. But our first thought is to just completely be consumed with that. And God says, no, that's not where your mind is supposed to first go. It's supposed to bring that, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is. It's to bring it to Him. It's to bring it to Him. Verse number 7, and the peace of God. This is what happens when we do that. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. We don't understand how we get it. Or that we have it, but we know we do, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When we, when we take what we're thinking about, the, the things that our mind is fixed on, that is not God, and bring it to Him, God says, now I'm going to allow my peace 
to consume your mind. Uh, Verse number 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things, those things, which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. The God of peace shall be with you. Well, when, we, when, we're, when our mind is starting to wander and we're, we're focused on fears, we're focused on anxiety, we're focused on questions, we're focused on the stress of the schedule that's about to hit us over the next couple of weeks, when our mind starts to focus on that, God says you need to put some truth in your mind. You need to think on things that are true, that are truth. You need to think on things that are pure. You need to think of things that are lovely. Think on things that have a good report. The fact that God is good, that His promises are true, that His Word never fails, that He never leaves me, that He never forsakes me. When I'm lost, He's my guide. When I'm weak, He's my strength. When I'm hurting, He's my comfort. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that's not the power of positive thinking. Hey, don't, don't, that, that's, not, that's not the power of looking through Instagram and finding somebody that's got a real good quote. This is, this is the mind, the renewed mind that is being transformed by the Word of God. Now, we see God through His Word. That's how we know Him. We learn of God through His Spirit. That's why He's been given to us and we draw near to God through prayer. And here's the thing. And this fits well as we come off Daniel talking about being influenced. When you, because every single person, saved or lost, is dealing with the same type of issues. You're in a classroom full of lost students, they have to take the same test that you do. They got to do the same homework that you do. You work at a job with a bunch of lost people, they have to deal with the same deadlines that you do. Uh, you, you walk down the street and, and see people or interact with people at the gym or the coffee shop. They've got the same pressure. Uh, Christmas is coming on December 25th for everybody, just in case you were wondering. Um, we're all dealing with that. And when we, when we allow the peace of God by focusing on Him, when we allow the peace of God to keep our minds, that gives us opportunity to be that influence. Daniel was. We didn't really spend a whole lot of time on this, but when Daniel was called to read the writing on the wall, one of the things that uh, was said about him was that he had an excellent spirit. He had an excellent spirit. And I believe part of that was because he had control of his mind. He was being led by the peace of God. And people that don't have Christ, people without Jesus that don't know him, this kind of peace, it doesn't make sense to them. To them, peace comes from having every gift bought on your Christmas list, uh, the house completely decorated, having a fully uh, 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 funded uh, IRA, having everything in your bank account that you need, having no bills that need to be paid. That's peace to them. But peace to the believer is different. Why? Because Jesus said this in John fourteen twenty seven: Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. My peace. Notice Jesus does not say a peace. I don't give you a peace. Jesus says, I'm not just going to give you some peace. No, it's mine. It's my peace that I give to you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus promised his peace. Remember, Jesus came to this earth and lived the life that you and I should have lived and died the death that you and I deserve to die so that we could have his righteousness, so that we could have his peace. Everything that was ours became his, our sin. Everything that was his became ours, his righteousness, his peace. It is available to us. And it's interesting because when Jesus 
said that was right on the eve of going to the cross. It was right before he would be betrayed. So even when Jesus is promising to give peace, he says, I give you my peace in spite of the fact that I know that the next couple of days are not going to be great for me. In spite of the fact that I know that I'm going to be separated from my followers, I'm going to be separated from my Father, I who knew no sin will become sin. But he says, I still have peace to give to you. I still have peace. Why? Because peace not, is not found in the absence of problems. It's found in the presence of God. Jesus, who is peace, has peace, gives you his peace. Now let me say this, and then we'll be done. Because when we think about peace, for most of us, we struggle with that. And I think too many times we find ourselves to the opposite side of peace. And, and what I believe the opposite of peace is, is bitterness. The opposite of peace is bitterness. It's not just stress. It's not just anxiety. But when it's fully realized, the opposite of peace is bitterness. If peace is not found in our circumstances, if peace is not found in our lack of problems, if peace is not found when everything is going right, then what happens when we look there? And I think that's where bitterness comes in. Uh, look at, uh, you don't have to turn there, but Exodus 15, I was reading this yesterday. Exodus 15 is the story of the children of Israel and they're wandering through the desert and they are thirsty. They come to this place called Marah, verse 23. It says, and when they came, came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara. And so this uh, place where uh, the children of Israel were, this place of Mara, was in the middle of the desert. And so, frankly, it was a miracle that there was any water there to begin with. But the water, because of uh, the desert, the sand, the salt content, the fact that they weren't too far away from the Red Sea, which was very salty, uh, the water was undrinkable. It was brackish. It, it, it was nasty. You couldn't drink it. You would get sick if you drank it. It was dirty. It was salty. It was undrinkable. It was bitter because of its surroundings. It was bitter because of everything around it. It was bitter because of where it was. It was bitter because of uh, where it was coming from in the ground. It was bitter. It reminds me of another passage where that same word Mara is used in Ruth chapter number 1 when Naomi and her husband, their two sons, they go to uh, Moab to try to escape the famine. They're trying to find peace in their circumstances, where they were. They were trying to escape a famine and go find peace outside of the will of God. And because they were there, Naomi lost her husband and both of her sons. And when she comes back to Jerusalem, or Bethlehem, excuse me, with Ruth, all of her friends see her, verse number 19, so they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, is this Naomi? And she said unto them, call me not Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Naomi was bitter now. Why? Because she tried to find her peace somewhere else. She tried to find her peace outside of the presence of God. She tried to find it in her surroundings. Uh, there is bitterness that comes when we look for peace in our circumstances. But this is what I love. Because when God, when the children of Israel are in, at Mara, and they're trying to drink water that's bitter because of its surroundings, God does a great thing because He brings peace to the water, if you will. 
He heals the water. He brings sweetness to the water. And look how He does it. Verse 24, it says, And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Verse 25, And He cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. The Lord showed him a tree, which when He had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There He made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there He proved them. He made the waters sweet. Moses found, God showed him a tree, and he threw this tree into the water, and the, the water was now drinkable. Uh, that tree reminds me of another tree. A tree that stood on a hill outside of Jerusalem. A cross. And on that cross, Jesus hung so that you and I might have peace. See, when we, when we look for peace outside of the presence of God, when we try to find it when everything's going right and we try to make sure everybody's got their Christmas gift and everything is, is being met and the deadlines are being met and we're here and we're there and we see everybody around Christmas time, we try to find peace in all of that, we're only going to end up with bitterness. But when we find peace, when we look for peace in the presence of God, that is where true peace is. When you find yourself struggling to find peace, listen, don't walk away from Christ. Even if it's just to bring a complaint to Him. He'd rather you do that than walk away. Why? Because God wants you to come to Him for peace so much that He sent Jesus to bring peace. Without Christ, we are separated from God and peace is not possible, but God made a way. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace or the, the, the way that we would have peace, the only way, was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. Jesus made peace a reality, not a pipe dream. We have full access to God because of Christ. And so when we feel anxiety, when we feel doubt, when we feel fear, that's okay. Don't let those cloud the goodness of God's character. When feelings happen, when emotions are there, inform the, the pain of your feelings with what you know by faith is true. Psalm 46.10 I don't have this for the screen, but it says, Be still and know that I am God. Don't be still and feel that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. David questioned God many times in Psalms, but he always came back to the truth that God is good, that He does have a plan, that He is in control, and that He is worthy of trust. And so as we start talking about peace, and you think about peace, heading into this Christmas season, can I remind you, in spite of problems, in spite of difficulties, in spite of issues, schedule, deadlines, everything that you have to do. Remember, peace is not found in the absence of problems. Peace is found in the presence of God. And so, will you look to Him? Will you look to Him over the next month or so? Will you, will you get your eyes on Jesus? Will you get your mind on Jesus to find that peace?